going to read 1 Corinthians 13 today, page 1785. And when you think of 1 Corinthians 13, we sometimes call this the what chapter? The love chapter, right? And when do you typically hear this passage read? Weddings. Mary, cue the bridal march, please. We are, no, okay, there, there we go. All right. So the, the, the challenge, and maybe our goal today, will be to rescue this chapter from sentimentality and maybe the ceremonial nostalgic way we think about this passage. I mean, really, rarely do we hear this in any other context. Not that we shouldn't, but, but that, that, that's kind of the way it is. And so we want to recover this passage from whatever shelf we may put it. Tradition, ceremony, nostalgia, and the like. And, and hear this and hopefully embrace it for the radical and transformative word of the living God that it actually is. And so last week we started uh, a new sermon series that'll, that'll take us through the fall. Anybody remember what that command Jesus gave them was at the Last Supper? Love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples or apprentices if you love one another. And so this chapter sits alongside what Jesus commanded. Maybe here's one way of saying it. <clears throat> Jesus told us who to love. Love your neighbor. Love one another. Love your enemy. Jesus tells us who to love. What Paul does here, he tells us how to love. What love looks like. So, 1 Corinthians 13. And I'll actually take that last uh, portion of chapter 12. <clears throat> And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship and that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. 
For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Father, take your word now. These ancient words that speak with such power and wisdom and, and make them fresh and living. Lord, help us to hear these words as not just to brides and grooms, but to all of your followers. But most importantly to us, each one of us here now. And, and so we ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to be unleashed in a fresh way that we could hear and know and follow and live into such a love as Paul describes here. We pray this in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, so we're familiar with the passage, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming that most, if not all of us have heard this, but we hear it in a ceremonial context, typically. And so it's very difficult to hear it in its actual context, it's what we would say the biblical uh, context that it comes to us. And so Paul is in the middle, if, you know, if you've read 1 Corinthians, he, he's in the middle of an, an extended um, reflection or instruction to uh, the, the, the church there in Corinth. He has spoken about the Lord's Supper, what we celebrate here once a month. And the words that we use here on the night in which was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and broke it. Those words come from 1 Corinthians. And so Paul is talking about the body of Christ, the physical body of Jesus that was offered for us. But then he's talking about the body of Christ that we are. And then in chapter 12, he goes into that. And, and Jesus is the head and we are like members of a body. And then he goes through a description of spiritual gifts. And so each of us have been gifted. Each of us have responsibilities within the body. The eye is not the hand, is not the knee, is not the foot. And so he's talking about being a people of God. What it means to be a community. What it means to be a community at table. And how to welcome others there. What it means to be a community in service. And, and so when he makes these references to if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. He's just talked about speaking in tongues in the spiritual gifts chapter just before this. When he talks about gifts of prophecy and knowledge and, and, and giving uh, uh, generously. He's just talked about all that. And so 1 Corinthians 13 is to help us understand that it's not just about being gifted. It's not just about coming to the table. It's, it's about something bigger than that. So in a sense, chapter 12 is Paul's ministry fair. So we've got, you know, some materials out there. Each of you are serving or connected in, in some way. And so, so Paul's been writing about that. But but he says there's, there's more than just being gifted. There's more than just being active in the, the life of your church in some special way. 
And so this chapter that we've read is not just for brides and grooms. It's for every Christian who comes to table, every Christian who's joined to Jesus Christ by faith, every Christian who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so all of us are called to this kind of life. Now, the opening verses have some, I don't know if it's, pro, it's prose, but it, it has a poetic feel to it. And what he's saying here is there's these outward expressions and, and manifestations of the Holy Spirit's power in our life are really great, but they really don't count for anything unless they're accompanied by love. And so the speaking in tongues of men or of angels and the, uh, the prophecies and the mountains, having a faith that can move mountains, but if you don't have love, then you've missed it. And so this is important. Outward, impressive, religious expressions are not to be mistaken for what matters most. Outward manifestations and expressions of, of spirituality are not the most important thing. It doesn't matter how gifted a person may be if they do not have love. Paul says it's worthless, it's empty, it's, it's vain. And so he's kind of saying, don't be fooled when you come across somebody who strikes you as so spiritually mature, be it they can sing, they can play, they can speak, they can organize, they can give. Those things are important. He's just gone through all that but they're not the most important realities. So again, Jesus tells us who to love. Paul tells us how to love. And in this short little section, this middle section, he gives us some positive and negative examples of love, some practical descriptions. And so I'm going to kind of tease the passage apart a little bit, take, take some things a little bit out of order. And what's important, love has both positive dimensions, love is and love does, but love also has what you could say a negative dimension. Love is not or love does not. And so it's important that we understand this. And so let me start with the negative. He says, love does not envy. Envy is kind of one of those old-timey words, right? We don't use it that much, but it's, a, it's, it's an important word. Envy is when you see somebody else. It's not wanting what they have. That's more like greed, okay? Envy is not wanting them to have it. There's some success. Somebody gets a promotion. Somebody's kid gets recognized. Um, you know, uh, uh, somebody moves and buys a new house, whatever. You're looking at them and they have some, some blessing, some good fortune. You know, the world goes, oh man, that's so great. And you burn with envy. You're sad because they're happy. That's, that's not love. Love does not envy. Love doesn't look at the other person and wish ill upon them. 
Love wants them to enjoy the blessings of this world and the blessings of God. So love does not envy. It's not sad at the success of others. Love does not boast. My goodness, we live in a boasting age, don't we? Some of you, I know, are going to be watching some football games later this afternoon. And what you're going to watch, and I'm going to be doing it too, and after the play is made, what do the players typically do? Did they go? No. Whatever, all these expressions of look at me, look at all the things I did. Love does not boast. Love does not draw attention to itself. Love is selfless. Love is not proud. Mm. This is the curse of the human family, right? We think we're better. We think we're smarter. We think we're righter. I know that's not a word, but you know what I mean. We're sitting in meetings. We'll be sitting in meetings this week. We'll, we'll uh, have conversations. Uh, there may be, you know, a family gathering and uncle so-and-so starts to say things and you, you roll. When we think we're better, when we think we're smarter, when we think we're faster, when we think we're richer, when we think we're better, all of these things, that's the pride. It's about me. No. Love is not proud. <laughs> Love recognizes that, you know, this is how I see it, but I, I'm probably not seeing it right. This is what I think, you know, I, 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 I had some success, but I'm, I'm just so glad to know so many other people who are successful. Yeah, I mean, love is a complete turning of, of pride on its head. Love does not dishonor others. Some of us know the old other translation of that. Love is not rude. I kind of like the rude translation a little better. We live in such a rude culture too, don't we? People dismissive. Uh, you know, man, anybody you spend any time online and you just read the comment section. Well, let me just suggest don't go online and read the comment section about anything. Our political culture is so very rude. If somebody thinks differently or votes differently or has a different way of wanting to come at society's things, love is not rude. It does not dishonor others because that other person that you're dismissive of, that you're speaking against and running down is an image bearer of the glorious God, one for whom Jesus Christ laid down his life. Do not be rude. Do not dishonor those whom the Lord loves. Love is not self-seeking. And so it's kind of Paul trying to get at the same thing with the boasting and the pride. Now the self-seeking. Kind of the me first. My wants, my wishes, my preferences. We tend to insist that we get things the way we want them. And so part of the task of parenting is to teach children <laughs> that it's not all about them. 
And so love is not self-seeking. It's not me first. Love is not easily angered. Can we just skip over this one? Let's just move to the next one. Yikes. Love is not easily angered. It doesn't say that love doesn't get angry. Love does get angry. Jesus got angry. He walked into the Father's house and saw the, the, the money changers and love got angry. But that had been building for three years, right? <laughs> he did not fly off the handle. And so love is not easily angered. It isn't triggered. It isn't offended. And what kind of culture do we live in? An easily triggered, easily offended. And so some of us, and I raise my hand, have issues with anger. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Husbands and wives, co-workers, we keep scorecards on each other, don't we? I remember, well, this is a composite reflection right here. I, I meet with people, you know, over the years, husbands and wives and others, I'll just say you won't believe some of the stories you hear, but you would believe them because, and I believe them because it's my story too. I remember that time back three years ago. Whoa, 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 whoa. I can't remember what happened yesterday. How are we remembering something from three years ago? Because it hurt or it offended me. I was angered. And so those emotional, those deeply emotional, painful uh, moments we, we capture, right? But love doesn't keep the record of wrongs. Thanks be to God <laughs> that He does not keep a record of our wrongs. He forgives us. Love does not delight in evil. And so capturing this, moving from the realm of just self and Kind of, you might think, ah, oh, yeah, they're just kind of a boisterous personality, a little out there, kind of those extroverts, and I'm an extrovert, so some of this I deal with because I will say things that you all are just thinking, right? I end up saying the quiet parts out loud sometimes and get in trouble for it. But Paul frames it and says, but there's an evil in the world. And the ancient evil traces back to the garden and traces back to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the serpent who tempted the man and the woman to rebel against God. And that's where love begins to get disordered. There's a, there's a rich history in the, in the Christian church of understanding sin as very simply disordered loves. God created us to love. That's what this is lifting up. But sin fractures all that, and instead of a, a love for the other, I have a disordered love of self. Instead of a, a, a proper love for food, I have a disordered love for food, and it's gluttony. And I, it, it's, it's appropriate to be in sexual relationships with people in the covenant of marriage, but a disordered love then becomes lust, and so on. And so love does not delight in evil. And so there's an emphasis on, on the negative, right? What love is not, and, and I guess the way I would describe this, Paul is advocating a restrained willfulness. The envy, the boasting, the pride, the dishonoring or rudeness towards others, the self-seeking and the anger and the, the, the scorekeeping and, 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 the, and the like are expressions of 
human willfulness. I want to say it. I want to think it. I want to do it. You can't keep me. This is not love. And so love restrains its willfulness. It, it reigns in our self-oriented ways. It, it seeks to harness our unruly wills, which perhaps is why Paul in another letter talks about self-control as one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so that's what love is not. Let, let, let's, let's move beyond that. Let, let, let's, what is what love is? And, and what we have here then is an enduring list of virtues and positive character qualities that, that kind of parallel the fruit of the Spirit uh, from Galatians. And so again, the language is beautiful. It's, it's poetic. And each of these virtues, I think, would have us cultivate a long view Whereas willfulness is often the anger, the boasting, the, the, the rudeness is often in the moment we fly off or we react or we explode in this moment. Whereas love takes this longer view. Love is patient. Some of you may have been nurtured on the King James Bible growing up. Patience is translated as what there? Long-suffering. And that's what patience is. It waits and it suffers. It, it, it's disappointed. I, I want the thing now. <sighs> Do I have to wait another day? After another week? Another year? Okay. And we just keep moving knowing that the thing that we want to happen hasn't happened yet. And so I'm suffering a disappointment or a longing, an aspiration, a desire is not yet fulfilled. But I'm okay with that. I can still live even though I don't have the thing I want. And so I kind of like the older version of long-suffering. And so love is patient. It's willing to wait. Love gives space. It gives time. It recognizes that, like our children, they're in process. Love is kind. Oh, kindness is in such short supply. Now, now, not in our circles. I think in Christian circles, we often run into much kindness, and we're thankful for that. But again, it's this notion when we're kind, we recognize, you know, that wasn't their best day. That wasn't their best moment. I have some bad moments too. And so I'm just going to be kind. I'm not going to take that word that you just spoke or that action that you just engaged in. I'm not going to take that as representative of your whole life. I'm going to, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to recognize that, again, you're one for whom Christ died and loves, and you're one who bears the image of God. And so, so we're all a little clumsy. We all stumble, and kindness recognizes that we do it, and so do others. And so there's a gentleness, a kindness. Love rejoices in the truth. It's recognizing that there's a deep, wise reality at the core of the universe. There's a way... God wants the world to be. There's a, a way that God wants us to be. We're not always that way, but we're going to pursue that way. And so it's rejoicing and delighting uh, in the truth. And so, and so we sometimes talk about goodness and beauty and truth, these transcendental realities that God has woven into the world. Love always protects. Oh, what a great word to protect. 
It recognizes that people are vulnerable, not just the little ones, right? We think about protecting the children, less protect the children, but let's protect the adults too. <laughs> let's protect the moms and dads. Let's protect the grandmas and, and grandpas. You know, sometimes we think protecting is just for the, the young and, and the very old. Love always protects all people. Everyone is vulnerable. Everyone is fragile. Everyone is delicate. Everyone's life can be upended in a second. And some of us know about that. <laughs> Love always trusts. Love this language. Christians should always practice the benefit of the doubt. Love always trusts. It, it trusts that you meant something in that word that didn't sound maybe, the, I heard it maybe a little differently than you intended. I'm going to trust that you had a good intention, a good motive there. I'm going to trust that, that you are a person of good conscience. We differ on this thing, but I'm going to trust you as a person. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt, and I hope I will get the benefit of the doubt also. And so... Trust is a willingness to be disappointed, a, a willingness to, to be hurt. And that's what happens in relationships. Sometimes we come together and all of a sudden, whoops, somebody said something or did something that I didn't like. I don't know if I can trust you anymore. It hurt too much. And so love always trusts. It always gives the benefit of that. That was a moment that I know you regret. And so I'm not going to keep score around that. I'm not going to keep the record of that wrong. Love always hopes. It looks for the best. Hoping is looking into the future. It's not just here and now. It looks for the best. It believes something bigger is underway. God is making you something other than you are now and God's making me something that I, other than I am now. And God is making this world something other than it is now. And I'm, I'm living in hope of that day, of a redemption of this world. So I'm, hope looks for the best in other people. Love perseveres. Ooh, how did Sir Winston Churchill say it? How? Never, never, never give up. Love never gives up. And we live in such a loveless society and world right now. If you don't do the thing I want you to do right now, pff, I'm done with you. That is not love. Love does not give up on others. Oh, we're tempted to give up on others. We may do it for a few minutes, a few days, a few hours, a few weeks, a few years, but, but love will always come back and say, I am so sorry. I wanted to quit this relationship. I wanted to quit you. But love won't let me do that. Because, as Paul ends with, love never fails. And there he's calling back to some of the language of the old covenant. The unfailing love of God or the steadfast love of the Lord which never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. And so this notion of never failing, it, 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 love conquers, love prevails, love triumphs because God has triumphed. 
Paul is writing this all after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul recognizes that in the triumph of Jesus Christ, love has prevailed over the darkness, the brokenness, and the sin of the human family. And so Jesus tells us who to love. Paul tells us how to love. Now, here's what I say to every couple who asks me to read this on their wedding day. I say, this is the kind of love God calls you to as you make this commitment as husband and wife. But you don't have that kind of love right now. And, you know, they kind of like, We've, but we really love each other. I said, you, this, on your wedding day, you, you, this is the tiny little acorn. <laughs> you have love for each other. But you've got an acorn kind of love. And what Paul is writing about here is the mighty oak kind of love. And so what our call in life is to mature into this kind of love. None of us has this kind of love perfectly today. But God surrounds us with people, little ones called children and grandchildren other ones called spouses and siblings and older ones, parents and grandparents and, and, and then co-workers and neighbors and knuckleheads, right, okay? God surrounds us with all kinds of people so that we might learn how to love. Because faith abides. And thanks be to God that it abides, right? And hope abides. But love abides. And the greatest of all of these is love. Lord, hear our prayer. We would want this kind of love in our lives, but we'd be silly to acknowledge that we're fulfilling this, this call yet now. But thank you for the tiny acorn and the lessons it, it shows us that an oak tree is growing and may that oak tree kind of love grow in each one of us this day just a little bit more as we learn how to love. In Jesus' name, amen.